This is getting better and better. And welcome to Evolve Your Mind, part of the Evolve Your series of shorts that gives you real world stories and ideas that disrupt your current thinking and spark evolution. Guys, today I am fortunate to be joined by one of our previous guests, uh, someone whose episode shot to the top of our download list, uh, fine artist Hillary Scott. Oh, God, we are excited to have you back on. Welcome to Evolve Your Mind. Thank you. I'm excited yeah, a, to be back. Yeah, what a treat it is to have you back on and talk about this uh, concept. So with the Evolve Your Mind, uh, these short series of episodes we do, uh, we're really focusing in, in on one of those four Evolve topics. And tonight we're going to talk about evolving your mind. And really the theme is creating from what you see and not what you know. And so for our listeners out there who have never read the book, Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain, uh, there was, was something that changed my life and my perspective because as I was reading that book, I realized that a lot of the times we tend to create from things that we quote unquote know, but yet when we go to put the pen to paper, we can't recreate what it is that we want to truly create. So um, Hillary, let's just dive right in. I, I think one of the most important things for an artist or really anybody who creates is to create what they see rather than what they know, because that shows the difference between, let's say, a kid who draws a human body that maybe is a head and some hands, maybe a couple of stick legs, right? And then a true artist who can actually see and create the nuances of that. So let's talk about that difference. What is the difference between seeing and knowing? Well, I painted what I knew for years and years and years. And I fought, you know, direct observation for a long time and my work reflected that. So, I mean, as a landscape artist, I can kind of relate what you said. Anyone can draw a tree or, you know, this reminds me of little kids when they draw the sky and it ends up at the top, you know, <laughs> right yeah. down. That's kind of what came to my mind when I was thinking about this concept. And those perfect clouds that we all did back in elementary I know, school, right? Clouds, and they're always just white. The right, right. White and the snow is white and the trees are all the same shade of green, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so it, you know, as, a, as an illustrator, I feel like this is extremely relevant to me. And I mean, I think it's probably relevant to almost any artist, no matter what you're painting. And I'm going to mostly speak to landscape painting, but mm -hmm. if you paint figures, you need to paint from life. If you're painting still lives, you need to paint from life. If you're painting landscapes, you get a plein air paint. And that's that's all I I mean that's the bottom line really um I'm trying yeah, and, and you mentioned what well, you mentioned in our in our last episode that we did with you that one of the things that made you grow as an artist more than anything else was getting outside and plein air painting so what is the difference or what what was the change in terms of how you saw and painted versus painting from like a photograph so I, just like anyone has biases of just your preconceived notion of what something looks like or the rules that you make up in your head. And I, I was mm. kind of painting by formula for a really long time. And I just had a formula in my head about what the shadow colors were gonna be and what color the, the sunsets were, like how, how chromatic they were. Just 
stuff like that. I just, you know, I just kind of use a formula and it works as an illustrator. I think I did a good job as, as an illustrator. They were magical scenes. They came out of my head. There was, mm-hmm. they, I, I always consider myself a realist, but I wasn't, I wasn't like a realist the way I am now. I, I like to paint realistic looking illustrations. That doesn't mean that they look like real life where there's actually, you know, all the little color variations and like, it's not accurate, but it was, it was three-dimensional. Like that was kind of where I considered myself a realist. And that worked fine for me as an illustrator. And when I switched to landscapes, when I wanted, not even landscapes, I think I was doing figures for a while. I was painting figures in landscapes and they were kind of this hybrid between illustration and realism. And they were just being perceived as illustrative. And the reasons for that were that I was painting what I knew and not what I saw. There was, there was so much work that had to be done in terms of direct observation that just wasn't happening. And that it's is- amazing how what we know, I, I like what you said earlier, uh, that resonated with me when you said we were painting from our bias or creating from our bias when we paint what we know. So my biases but- happen to be heavily based in chroma. It was, okay. I just, you know, when you think of a sunset and you're like, wow, that's really bright. And it's mm-hmm. really, it's, the colors are very chromatic. That couldn't be farther from the truth. They they're not that bright. There's a lot of gray in them, but I think the reason why we think of them as so bright is because there's so much gray around them that even the tiny little pops of chroma appear to be brighter. So I think that's that's a good point. And so I wasn't following that for a long time. I was just kind of like throwing color everywhere and thinking, Oh, it's a sunset. And then wondering why nobody took it seriously. It's like, Oh, that doesn't look real. That's that looks like fantasy. The other bias that I had was, these are kind of ridiculous, honestly. It was like all this detail that I that I would put in to my pictures, my paintings. It, it was like every blade of grass, every leaf. And in my head, my rationale for that was that, well, they're all there. Like the, every tree has mm. like this many leaves. However, that's that's what you know. But when you see, you don't see that way. You can only focus in on one thing at a time. And so everything else just kind of falls back into the distance. So I was painting everything uniformly detailed and, and now I finally realized that I didn't see it at the time. I, I think that was one, I had another example and I don't know if I can remember right now, but. But that's a great point though. It's, it's about, you're reminding me of some paintings that I've seen where they're very illustrative in nature um, where you can literally look at the leaves and you can see the veins on the leaves. And some of these leaves are far away. They're, they are not in the foreground of this painting. And it, it, there's great detail, but intuitively, you know that that's not what life is really about because we don't see that way in life, right? We see differently than all of the veins on that leaf that's like 10 miles away. <laughs> that that doesn't exist. is because that's what you know, like those leaves are right. there, those veins, those veins are there. There, yes, there are millions of blades of grass, they're all there. However, that is not, that's not how you see them. So I needed to evolve my thinking into realizing that and that, and then you create stronger work that way when you can kind of figure out how we actually see. And yeah. So talk a little bit more, you, you, you mentioned that sunsets are generally not very bright but it's the grays around them that create that color pop. That's pretty fascinating to think about. It was fascinating. And I used to, 
I used to love Chroma. I think everyone loves Chroma. Mm-hmm. As a child, you know, you look children's books, the brighter, the better. They just attract you. Yeah. Yeah. And, good point. I mean, I don't know. I just, I think there was a point where I realized that you, you can get more bang for your buck with this Chroma if you're surrounding it with gray. And I learned that in one of my workshops and it just really was a turning point for me. And in fact, as a painter of nature, I think the biggest thing I had to get over was that nature doesn't have, it's not super bright. Like if you look, I made this color wheel and I had to do this chroma. It was, I did a lot of color charts and it was really breaking down chroma because it was a huge roadblock for me. It was what was, you know, hurting my work. So then I started to look at it, like when you grace things down incrementally, you look at the brightest bright, like out of the tube color, and -hmm. then you gray it down little by little. And then you look and you're like, that's the highest chroma color. There is really nothing in nature other than maybe some flowers. I can say Mm -hmm. like flowers might be that about that bright. Other than that, there's really nothing that's that bright. If you brought that color chart out into nature and you observed it and you brought it out to a sunset even, and you would, you would realize by seeing, observing that those colors don't exist. Therefore, if you try to use those colors in excess in your painting, it's not going to look real. Well, what a fascinating perspective. And to think about taking a color chart that you have built out into nature and actually comparing it and I think you're right. I mean, we we resonate with the beauty of nature, but if you were to pause and just sit and look outside, you probably see a lot more grace than you want to recognize. You see a lot more grace, but they, with contrast, it's like you can make that chroma, those tiny little bits of chroma sing by mm. surrounding it with gray. Everything is relative. Yeah, well, so like- you're, you're saying this, and I'm staring at two beautiful paintings right behind you that you've created. And to me, they're very vibrant because of how you've used the color coming through the trees onto the marsh in this, you know, what is that, a sunset or a sun? Is this in the morning time or the evening they time? They are both sunset paintings. Okay. Yeah. And, and there, to me, there's a lot of vibrance. But as I'm staring at it and listening to you, I'm thinking to myself, I, I can see how you've created that. Because right behind where this, the sun is coming through the trees there's a lot of gray and there's not bright green, you know, back to you, to what you were talking about before, where every little kid paints the tree, the same color, the same green. This is not little kid green. No, it's, it's a, again, a, a product of direct observation is that I think a lot of us get tripped up with a lot of greens in the summer. When you go out to paint mm-hmm. and you're like, Oh my God, there's so much green. How am I going to make this interesting? It will listen. If you look, if you really, really stop and look, and forget about what you think in your head. You're going to see yeah. there's yellow, yeah. green, there's red, green, there's purple, green, there's like blue, green, there's, mm-hmm. there's just a million shades of green. There's like green. That's almost not even green that it's yellow. And then yeah. there's purple yeah. flower, like there's on the marshes. Cause I paint a lot of marshes. I noticed there's other colors mixed in. There's purples, there's reds. There's so many different things. Just, I don't know. It's fascinating to really break it down and look and just look and see where your preconceived notions are and, and how they're so wrong. And that was, you, you really have to challenge them, right? It was a game changer for me. Yeah. So just, it, it made my life easier because I didn't start freaking out. Like, Oh my God. I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. This is just everything's green here. 
There's so, so, so talk many. about that process then. How did you how did you break that cycle of really okay. creating from what you knew? I know that you talked about that you paint out. You, you do a lot of plain air, but what else did you do besides just getting outside and observing? How did you break that cycle? So. I have to say that I do plein air paint a good amount, especially recently I've made it a point to get out there. But I think that the direct observation, even when I can't get out there and plein air paint, I am almost observing nature more than I'm actually painting. And that's because I try to get outside all the time for inspiration. I just like to be immersed in nature so I can just bring that back to my work. And even if I'm not painting, if I'm driving in the car for two hours, um, if I am just sitting outside of my yard, if I'm just no matter what I'm doing, I'm looking, I'm looking around and I'm observing and I'm taking notes and I'm trying to internalize what's out there because I know it's going to come back in the studio at some point. It's just, I'm trying to put all this information on my hard drive. So there's plein air painting where you're actually actively painting what's in front of you. There's direct observation, which is like informal. You're just always observing and just kind of hoping that you'll see it enough times and you will remember it eventually. Mm -hmm. And okay. then the part is you have to execute these this information. So it's like, you have to see it, you have to put it in your head and then you have to execute it. And I have to say that color charts have been huge. They, that's where you learn how to mix the colors that you're seeing outside. And, and so do you create a color chart before oh, you I go have, outside and then compare? I'll show you one of them. Oh, I'd love to see this. Um, there's a lot, there's a few, I should probably make more, but so for example, here's a green chromatron, I think. Yeah. So there's this. Oh, that's beautiful. All, yellow green this is yellow green there's okay there's 11 hues i do the Munsell system so not to get it too technical but um this is a chroma chart so this is like oh wow okay all of the colors in the Munsell system and they're all you know i've played around with the chroma so every single one of them and has been grayed down and so you so, literally go in and you create these boxes and I, uh, the, the, the boxes are, what, what are you painting on? Is that a board? Yeah, they're board. That's not a canvas, right? It's a board. Um, and well, so you're no. just. This one. So they're just cheap canvases. They're oh, okay. in a workshop because I'll tell you right now, I wasn't going to do them on my own. So I feel like <laughs> I needed to be forced to do them. <laughs> okay. All right. Because you just had to do them and you definitely thanked him later for making you do those color charts. So, so it really helps because you can see these colors. I mean, a lot of planner painters are just starting out, they're going out into nature and I see it when I, when I go out and I see that they're clearly observing what's in front of them, but to not realize how to mix the colors, just kind of have some color theory that you have studied is very helpful. Like, is it, a, is it a blue grain that you're looking at? What's the hue? And okay. I think doing this color theory, like it really does simplify the colors down to color can only go in three directions, hue, value, and chroma. And okay. I think that's, that really does help a lot to kind of make it less overwhelming. Yeah. What a, what a fascinating exercise. So this is a technique that you use when you go outside, you, you take these color charts with you. I don't always bring them though. I don't bring them. I, I make them. And I think by mixing them up, by sitting there actively mixing up these swatches and just really like learning, being present and knowing exactly what I'm doing, deliberately mixing, I'm making a grade down, you know, yellow green in the highest chroma. And then I'm going to make it just a little bit less chromatic and a little bit less chromatic. And then you just kind of, you, you work through the whole, how do you mix these colors? So when you go out into nature and you're seeing a yellow green, or you're seeing a blue green, you know that you've met, you know how you mixed it up on your swatch. 
And then you have to figure out what's the value of it. Is it, how light is it from the, I think it's 11 values that we did. Some of them is okay. 10, I can't remember, 10 maybe, I don't know. But, but it's just, you have to do that work. You have to like really just break down color and it's not fun, but it pays off. Just like the plein air painting pays off in the studio, you get a payback for it. So you do unfun work so that you can come back here and make a better painting. So it not only trains your train, excuse me, trains your observational skills, but it also trains your technique to be able to know how much of what you're mixing while you're creating this painting. So you're literally training yourself to be a better observer of life by doing these repetitions of mixing the paint, putting it down, doing these color swatches. And I mean, that's just absolutely fascinating to me, but for a lot of people that are struggling to get better, how many people are doing this? That would, that would be my question, right? It was easy and it was fun. Everyone would be doing it. And that's, that's <laughs> right. the part is, is how far are you willing to go to get better and to, and to you know, break away from the pack, which has been my goal. I, I want to be the best that I can be, I, with, you know, that I can, I just want to try to get to a place of, you know, just mastery of my craft, which is going to take my entire life to do. But yeah, this is how you right. do it. You do the stuff yeah. that not everyone wants to do. Well, it's really a true evolution of your mind, isn't it? Because I would imagine that now when you go out, you're seeing the world in a different way. You're not seeing the world and observing it with this these biases of all of this beautiful color and chroma. Like you're seeing it in a way that is different than you used to see it. Is that right? Yeah, you are. You're definitely observed. There are things, so many things I've observed since I changed gears and started really taking this seriously and observing nature. For example, there's another bias that I, that I thought of that I knew I was going to forget, but it's that things, things that are receding are always cooler and so things that are receding cooler. going further away are always right. cooler. And, and yeah. as an illustrator, I did that. And okay. it's not always the case because if you're sitting observing mm. a sunset and the light is really warm and it's, it's far away from you, the things around that, sun are going to be warmer and they're further away and so when mm, you get closer okay. to you they're going to be cooler and that was another thing I, I observed for a long time just to kind of you know internalize that and just realize that this formula way of painting wasn't wasn't going to work and then the other part is not all shadows are cool because if it depends on the light if it's cool light you're going to have warmer shadows. And that's another thing I've spent years observing. I was like, oh, was that interesting. Cool? Like, you always think of shadows in the, in the trees and just in the landscape as being blue purple, but no, right. foggy right. And, and dreary and rainy out there. You, that's not the color of them. Like it, you know, for me to paint them like that, that's why my painting was failing because that's not the color. They're, they're warmer and the light is cool. And then, and everyone's used to paying, painting those light filled. I think everyone kind of, thinks of the shadows as cool. And then those yellowy tones are the lights. Right. And that's accurate yeah. on a, on a sunny day. It's just not accurate when it's foggy out, which is my new obsession is painting fog. <laughs> so I yeah. I, I saw that paint or the picture that you took the other day of a, of a foggy yeah. day. And... Also still in progress. 
Yeah, yeah, I love what you were creating there. I love the I love that photo, the reference photo that you were uh, working from. But I also love that. Oh painting yeah, that was awesome. Thank you. So I I've got to ask. I mean, this concept fascinates me. And as you and I were going back and forth and talking about some different ideas, um, with having you on for for a short, this concept of evolving your mind through observation. Obviously, it applies to art, right? I mean, you've proven this that getting out, observing, creating from what you see rather than what you know, there's massive application to fine art. Um, but I think there's some application in other areas of life as we practice and become better observers. So my question to you is, how do you see this concept applying in other areas of your life? I mean, this is a good question. I was pondering this the whole day. <laughs> and I would love to hear your answer to it, but I thought of yeah, for sure. kind of in the art realm still, but I'm not sure this is exactly what you're looking for. But in terms of like overall biases, I feel like there's a lot of them, like even just whether it's feasible to make a career out of an artist. It's like you hear all these people like, oh, you're gonna be a starving artist and you can't make money and good luck with that. And it's, it's like, those are all biases. And is, is it actually true? No, because if you really do set your mind to it, just like anything else, and it's hard, it's, it's hard work and it's grueling and you're going to fail a lot of times, but it's absolutely possible. I've seen it enough times, you know, and then somebody had made a comment to me a while ago. They're like, art is moving in the direction of contemporary and abstract and nobody's buying just traditional work anymore. Another <laughs> right, right. bullshit. <laughs> it's yeah. not accurate and so i think in general like we have these biases and i mean they can be i i think i'm kind of hanging on to the whole concept of biases that we have is just like you, you hear it even in fitness because i'm into fitness and health and it's like everyone has this like oh mm -hmm. this is this is what you have to do to get in shape you have to do this and no carbs and, and you can't you know if you, you want to lose weight you, you have to cut out full entire food groups like none of these things right, are right. true no it's not just that they they're like they're a little I don't know, things that just kind of float around and people just kind of take them as truths and they're not, if you really look at them and apply them to your situation, they're not always accurate. Yeah, I, I'm with you 100% on it. And I think that, well, we were going back and forth on this one question because it, it was actually a question uh, that I wrote down um, when I was prepping for the show and sent it over to you, but then I thought to myself, well, wait a minute, how does this concept apply to my life? So it was funny when you wrote back and you said, well, that last one is going to stump me and I've got to think about that. I was actually thinking the same thing as soon as I wrote it down. So I spent some time thinking about this concept and really when you, when you break it down, so, and, and, and I've, you've actually added a few things to my perspective. So first when we observe life, we have a greater tendency to observe things as they are and not as we want them to be. And so I think then life becomes more pragmatic in a way. And it would be really nice to think that every human being out there is a very kind and loving person. And unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, it would be really nice to look at somebody and say, well, they're just a bad person because they did this but that's just not the case. Maybe they just made a bad decision and in general, they're a pretty good person. And so I think that part of how I see this concept of observing and seeing life is that we tend to be pragmatic, but then we also tend to question a lot. 
and we say, well, wait a minute. And this is where what you've said really resonates with me, that oftentimes the rules don't apply even in the space where we created the rules. So for instance, like you're talking about with shadows or the distance, those are always cool, except when they're not. And I think that's the thing in life. There are rules or dogmas or beliefs that are always true until they're not. And so the way I think that this concept applies in life is that we have to pause. We have to really look at life and say, all right, what, what are my limiting beliefs and what are my biases that are holding me back? And what can I do to then observe life in a different way? That's a good answer. I love that. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate it. And I have, what a, what a great conversation, uh, fascinating conversation. I always love, uh, Hillary chatting with you and, uh, having these conversations about life and art and, um, and just the creative process. I mean, it really is a lot of fun. So we, we would love to have you come back on for, for some future episodes and talk about, uh, some, some more stuff, uh, art and life related. So yeah, great. Uh, on that note, folks, it is time for us to wrap up this episode of evolve your mind. Hillary Scott, uh, again, thanks for joining me today. Um, you create some amazing artwork and, uh, I, I want our people to follow you. Now our listeners can go back and listen if they have not already to the episode that we did with you previously, but what's the best way for people to follow your amazing journey? So my website is hillarystottfineart.com and my Instagram where I post most often. So it's mostly most updated with work, works in progress. Mm -hmm. It's hillarystott underscore fine art. Hillary Scott underscore fine art on Instagram. And folks, if you are not following following Hillary yet, you need to go back and listen to the other episode as well, because she uh, just dropped a lot of great wisdom on art and life and had a great time with her. So um, thank you very much. And thank you, our listeners, for disrupting your day to spark the evolution of your mind. You are fantastic. And uh, now it's time for you to get out there and evolve.